Well, I'm very, very excited, and I don't want to be overly optimistic, but you should be hearing me a lot better than you have before. We got some new equipment, finally. And now, I hope, because I think a lot of you probably have to turn your volume up all the way in your car to listen to us, and I'm hoping that that isn't the case anymore. Yeah, it's so funny. When I listened to our podcast, I had to have the volume all the way up, and then if anything else came on, it would like just almost blow out the speakers. It was so loud. Yeah, so like hopefully... we, we were using basically like the Fisher-Price My First Podcast kit before, and we've invested in some slightly less crappy equipment now. So... So hopefully, Let's, just I, I mean, just watch us like throw this in, and it doesn't. It work, just sounds the same. The other cool thing is this: this mixing board has a rim shot, which I will use sparingly. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so uh, in exchange for you guys getting much better sound quality, well, I don't know, is, is, it, is it better sound quality, like, is better sound quality a plus for people because they can hear us more clearly, or is that like, is this going to drive people away? Kind of like know, if like, like, a, like the... a really ugly news anchor when their channel upgrades to HD, does that like reduce viewership? I don't know. Um, but in exchange for better sound quality, we are going to start having this podcast be somewhat mandatory. Now... Like, I don't expect everybody to listen for the full hour every week, but I think this is a really good way to get, um, like, news out to the team and, like, the basic scheduling stuff, racing stuff. We're going to be here, just doing whatever, like... Um, so I think Dan and I discussed it, and the first five minutes of this show, moving forward, there's going to be an expectation that you listen. It's free. It's five minutes. We won't waffle. We'll keep the first five minutes, like, really tight, stuff you need to know, and then... Hopefully, if you guys want to get better, you'll listen to the deep dive, but at bare minimum, first five. Is that fair? I think so. But we'll always try and let you know kind of what we have coming up so you can decide yes. if you want to listen to the whole thing. Because we have some really good stuff, really important stuff today to talk about, especially, I think, especially if you're doing Pan Ams, we've got some, I've got some really important things I need to talk about. Yeah. Deep dive is going to be really cool today, really interesting. Joe and I talked about it a little yesterday. Yeah. Um, it's, we're going to be finally answering a question from a friend of the podcast, Hayden Fonger. I like saying friend of the podcast because people who do podcasts say that, and that makes me feel legit. So He's a friend, like, regardless, you know. Like, yeah, he's a friend of us, not just the podcast. Um, <laughs> but we'll finally be answering a question that he asked, like, a month uh, ago now. Yeah, and I've got another question, too, I was going to address real quick about um, junk miles, but... Hayden's question had to do about fear and overcoming fear. And so we're going to be talking about like fear and, and we're going to be talking a little bit about, um, confidence and it should be some real, a really good discussion. So please stick around, but as a bare minimum moving forward, you, you, you have five minutes somewhere in the week. I guarantee you even have five minutes on the Sunday. Like none of you are, you know, if, if you've got eight kids and you're going to med school and running four businesses, you've still got five minutes somewhere. So (laughs) We will ask for that, and then uh, hopefully people stick around for the deep dive. But what are today's kind of uh, first five? Well, and I'm hoping, too, we've got a lot of people that are listening while they're driving home from St. George. Lucky. And to those people, I'm, I'd am just like to say it's not fair. Yeah, to those people, I'd like to say that someday I hope to be a big enough person that I don't hate you. Um, but I'm, I'm oh. jealous, because the, the weather up here sucks, and I haven't no, it, been to St. George since. This weekend. It's been okay. Today is bad, but... Yeah. So... Um, yeah, we've got, 
So just just one thing, everybody should have their team snap up and running. Um, I think there is there's a problem this year, and I think I'm going to do things differently next year where people had me use their kids' emails to send the team snap invites. And kids these days really don't check emails. And like they're probably their email inboxes are probably completely full and can't. Yeah, we got like twenty thousand messages. We kind of communicate in the past. We kind of communicate with parents and email and kids with Instagram stories because they will see those. Yeah. So you should have access to the Maybird team. Like basically, if you signed up for the team, you should have had a Team Snap invite. If you haven't, just reach out to me. We'll get it fixed. Uh, team Snap's funny. It works really well for some people. Other people, it just we kind of have to like. They kind of have to reload the app onto their phone. You know, they kind of have to remove it, reload it. And then I have to usually delete their profile on my end and then send them new invites. And that usually fixes it. So if you're having trouble with that, because teams or coaches are already reaching out to their teams and they're kind of doing roll calls. So if, if your coach has reached out to you, be sure to respond to that. Cause I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to try to reach out to those that haven't responded and find out kind of why. Um, so yeah, so that should, that should be working. Um, you should be hearing from your team soon and having little get togethers, you know, go to those, get to know people should be awesome. Um, no running group this week just because of the holiday. We didn't do Zwift last Wednesday cause it was Valentine's day. It was as funny well. cause I initially planned <laughs> one. Yeah. It was that funny. I, I kind of forgot it was Valentine's day. So I probably ripped. Looked. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, no running group this week, but we will have Zwift, uh, 6 PM as usual. Please join us. That last one we did was awesome. It was so fun it was having killer. more people. We so. had, we had an awesome, awesome group. So definitely come to that. The other thing to know is this week I will be finally, I've been saying I've been going to do it for weeks, but things have been crazy. I will finally actually be hosting my bike buying clinic. I, and, and the kind of goal with this is I'll do a little brief presentation and stuff, but then I'm really, I, I want one or two people and please like approach me. Like my phone number is 801-671-5412. If you are buying a bike for you or your kid or someone this season and you're feeling a little nervous and you're not sure how to do it, text me. I'd love to like, ideally I'll, I'll take you the night of, but I'd love to kind of walk kind of through your needs and stuff. And then like, basically my idea is I'm going to walk you through the process of your different options for how to pick a bike and find the right one and get a good deal while everybody else watches so you can kind of see the process. So I'd love for a couple people to hit me up um, if you're looking, and then that will be over Zoom 6 p.m. on Tuesday. Should only be an hour, but it'll be really, really useful if like buying a bike is something that you're not an expert at yet. And Joe's super excited about this, so I love it, man. I'm so like I worked in the bike industry for years. I shop for bikes I can't afford all day long. Don't yeah. tell my boss. Just kidding. I don't. I'm too busy for that right now. But um, that we'll have that. Uh, other than that, um, you know, this weekend is looking like we'll be like in the 50s and it should be fairly dry. So I might try and get like some kind of group ride going or something like that if, if the weather With holds out. Okay. Um, yeah. Any, anything else we need to run over? Well, that's that's kind of the general announcements. This um, I've got something really important to talk about for those that are doing like UCI, USAC racing, um, especially those that are interested in doing Pan American. Which again is the is like the mountain bike championships for the northern half of the western hemisphere. It's yeah, a big deal, so, and it's going to be in our backyard this year. So <clears throat> USA Cycling, bless their hearts, <clears throat> they. Yeah. They're kind of a, they, they're definitely a fly by the seat of the pants organization. 
Yeah. Um, it, it's 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 a little difficult to navigate. Sporting and, bureaucracy at its finest, man. Yeah. I love it. Um, and so, so basically, on Friday, I I got an email late at night on Friday night from someone that I had been emailing repeatedly over the last couple weeks about some clarifications on the Pan American race. And, um, and this email would have been really, really nice to have before registration opened for the race because, um, basically what this email explained is that, so those that are actually doing the Pan American championship, this is, it's, it's protected registration, which means, um, you have to first fill out a petition and anyone that fills out the petition will get sent a, a link to a private registration. So registration for the actual Pan American championship where you actually wear the USA jersey and you're racing for the USA, um, that didn't happen through that registration link. Oh. Um, it actually, you, there, and, and I sent out a link to, like, I sent out a copy of the email I was sent. Right. And I, I just sent it out on Team Snap as a Team Snap message. Go look for that, read through that. It explains it pretty well. Um, and then I also sent a link to the petition. You would go fill out the petition, and then they will send you a link to a private registration. So that's how it works. And, and I guess they had, like, I guess that those categories were taken off of registration right before it opened. And, and nobody knew this. And, um, you know, and I had, I'd emailed the race organizer. He didn't know I'd raised and emailed a couple different people. And it wasn't until just this last Friday that I kind of figured out what was actually going on. Probably when they figured out what was actually going on. Yeah, and you know, it would have been so nice to know that before they opened the registration. But here we are. And so I worry some people might... Because there are some UCI races on there that are like C2 races that are UCI races, but they're not the championship race that I worry people might have registered for by mistake. So... um, so show up to Soldier Hollow and you'll do some kind of bike race, hopefully. Oh, but, <laughs> I mean, but the thing with Soldier Hollow is there's all different kinds of bike racing options. So, right. you know, amateur, UCI, it's going to be fun. Um, so, yeah, go read that message in Team Snap, and I think it should explain things pretty well. Now, another thing I want to talk about, too, that I'm just kind of learning, and I'm not 100% certain about what I'm just about to say. I'm 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 trying to. Are we going to ver- talk about your ABCs here or something? Or? Yeah, I'll, I'll verify this with with USAC. But um, we've had a lot of kids that are trying to petition up to Cat One. Okay. And it used to be just voluntary. You could just be like, "Hey, I want to petition," and they were like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, you're Cat One." And just this year, they've been denying people and making them race Cat Two first. Okay. And so, I got thinking about it today. Because I always assumed, you know, you kind of did Cat 2 first, and then you do Cat 1, and then you do UCI, you know. But then I'm kind of like, well, is it actually a requirement to have a Cat 1 USAC license to be able to get a UCI license? 
deep questions here. I know. Existential and, questions. And I, I emailed someone who's a former employee of USAC, and he's telling me that it's not, that you can actually race UCI really? on a Cat 2 license. And um, which just seems stupid to me that, yeah, you, that, you know, that you have to, that like, like, what's the point then? Like, yeah, that you have to petition to be a cat one racer, but you could just but, go and be like, Hey, I'm going to race UCI. And they're like, I, all right, give us your 120 bucks and you can race UCI. <laughs> you know, it just seems stupid to me that you'd have to petition to be a cat one, but you, you could somehow race UCI in a cat too. Uh, yeah. I should just go do that for kicks. Just like show up. And... Well, you couldn't because you'd be elite. Oh but... yeah, that's true. <clears throat> so, but for juniors, apparently you can race UCI as a cat too. Cause I know a lot of people that, um, decided maybe not to do the Pan American because they couldn't get, cause I just assumed you had to at least have a cat one license to upgrade to UCI, which just seems like that would make sense. Um, but from what I'm hearing, you don't, and I'm, I've emailed someone at USAC to verify that, but um, I think that's important to a lot of kids that, that got denied the Cat 1 upgrade. So, so something to consider, you know, I guess. And navigating all this stuff, I honestly kind of feel like Nicolas Cage a little bit, you know, like... There's a map on the back of the declaration. That's my <laughs> 10 out of 10 Nick Cage impression there. It does kind of feel like that, though. It is the least intuitive thing ever. Yeah, like like, like Nike, filing your taxes is gonna seem like a. I know. Like, I want to like, be like, like a breeze after trying to register for anything. I want to be a, like a USAC attorney or like something. like a USAC advisor where people pay you. You know what? You probably make good money. Yeah, you know? you'd like, probably you know charge someone fifty bucks to sign up for a race form. You know, I'd consider I mean, that. it's like their their customer service and stuff's pretty good, and the people that work there are really helpful. Yeah, but like their website's not helpful and all sporting bureaucracy seems to be like this like anything olympic anything usa cycling usa track like i just like i don't know why they have to work that way i mean one thing i will say is the utah leagues got their stuff together oh my gosh the utah leagues got it dialed dude yeah they i mean yeah navigating usac is not nearly as clean as navigating the utah league seriously and i think this is like a lot of people are kind of more attracted to like smaller racing like with icup it's like okay what's your name are you going to sue us if you die? Okay, give me 80 bucks and then you're in, right? Yeah. But with with USAC it's like it's like you got to do your birth certificate and like a, you know, like a urine sample and you know, 18 other things. Yeah. And, yeah. But it's what fun. A pain. It's but we, we you know, it's it's a labor of love or something like that. Yeah, so I'll um I'll keep looking into that. Again, anyone that has any questions on this type of stuff, I'm you guys know how to reach me. Um So, so I think that's it on announcements basically. I I do, um, before we get into a deep dive, I had a couple kind of, uh, just kind of more rapid fire questions I wanted to cover if that would be okay. Are you asking me permission? <laughs> Wait, what was I that? If that would be, are you Canadian or something? Like, <clears throat> you, yes, Dan, it would be okay. Oh, thank you. Permission granted. Okay. So I got a question from Riker, one of your boys. Oh yeah. Yeah. And a good question. We actually did an entire podcast. I think we did. I can't, I know I can't we've talked anymore. We've done so many. Yeah. And which, which reminds me, um, if you're new to listening to this podcast or I guess anyone, you know, go back and listen to some of the older episodes moving forward. We're going to try to get some more guests on and kind of, you know, kind of try... mic thing allows us to have a third guest. So that's, Hopefully yeah. And we be... also kind of figured out how to do it over zoom too. 
you know, like, um, I think I'm going to do like, I want to do a running podcast next. We'll get Amy Larkin on. I haven't asked her yet, but I'm sure she'll say, yeah. Yeah. And then I want to, she's going to hear it for the first time on this. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. Um, but then we want to get like a lot of our, like Brady and Bart and Drew and, um, a lot of these guys have some really good nuggets to share. So we're going to, we're going to start doing more of that, but, um, go back and listen to some of our older episodes, you know, about just, there's some good ones about just some good nutrition basics, some just good training basics. I think we cover a lot of, I think especially if you're new, if you're new to this, yeah, it, it wouldn't hurt, you know, like if you need something to listen to on the trainer and you've got an incredible tolerance for like boring drivel, then, you know, <laughs> like, uh, no, really though. Cause I, and I think it, it'll be fun too, to kind of watch, stuff evolve over time as we learn more and stuff too. And we have more experience and whatnot. Um, I think we get worse actually. I, you know, most things do. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah. Go back and listen. Some of the, I went through a phase where I was going to come up with really creative puns for a lot of the episodes. So you might not even know what they're about (laughs) moving forward. I'm going to try to like name them things that make sense. Um, But you know, I got to get my yucks in somewhere. This is a, this is a labor of love too, but, um, but yeah. So Riker's question, Riker's question. Um, his question, are junk miles real? I mm. feel like, <laughs> I feel like this might've been covered before, but I don't really remember. I have immediate thoughts on this, but you are the training guru. So I want to hear yours first before I start talking out. Of so my, you know. honestly, and the reason I, I really want to address this question is this is probably like one of the funnest questions I could answer. Like this uh, is fun is a fun is fungible, I guess. <laughs> um, because like, I think when, when people talk about junk miles, I think a lot of people think that means zone three. Yeah. Cause I was gonna say when I hear junk miles, I think like miles that aren't hard enough to be really hard, but also definitely aren't led, like recovery or zone two or anything like Sort of like uh, the the kind of writing that a lot of people do naturally that's like really fun because you're kind of going hard, but you're not really going hard enough to get much of a benefit. Like that's kind of when people say junk miles, they mean something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's what they mean. And and I would say that, that, yeah, there's probably some training that's more effective than others. You know, like yeah. there's structuring, you know, like disciplining your intensity one way is probably more effective than disciplining it another but I think that for most people in general, the more you ride, the better you're going to get. Yeah. You know, and my thought on this is it's like the 80, 20 rule, you know, and we've, we've said before, like Dan and I aren't the ones to, t- if you, if your if your goal is to win a world cup, you pay someone for that. Like that's yeah. not what Dan. And yeah. I- that's where you hire Alex Grant or something. Right. Exactly. Like, like I think our emphasis is always going to be on like, we want you to get good at stuff and learn how to work hard at something because like, that's a journey that you're going to go on. That's going to help you as a person. So like Dan and I, just as a disclaimer, are never going to be like, you have to do everything this exact way. And if you, you know, like you can't leave anything on the table, like Dan and I leave a ton on the table because our emphasis is more on just like long-term personal development. And we think racing is a great conduit to that, but I can tell you like 80, 20 would be great. I'm probably more like 50, 50 right now. So like, I think the answer is probably like scientifically. Oh yeah, for sure. There's, you know, you could, you know, you re- but like at, at a certain point, like you've said before, at a certain point, you'd just end up doing all of your training on a trainer indoors because that's how you can get the most perfect distribution of everything you need to get. Like, so I think yeah. for like for most kids, I would say kind of no, kind of. Yeah, I th- I would say, yeah. So just because you're riding in zone three doesn't make that junk miles. No. You know, like like someone riding 15 hours a week in zone three 
is going to be way fast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're going to be way fast. You know, I mean, yeah. the, and there's probably better ways to spend that time, but it's still better than sitting on the couch doing nothing. Yeah. You know, but yeah, so that like some training is more effective than others, but in general, and I emphasize the in general, like writing more is usually better. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some types of, there are some types of writing that actually would make you worse and could mm -hmm. be harmful. Right. And I wouldn't even, that's got to be called something even harsher than junk miles. Because the thing is, junk miles doesn't imply like, go, like the, like the rides I was doing in high school, where you just go out and like sprint till you puke every day for, you know, like, like that's like junk miles are like kind of hard, kind of easy, sort of in between, like, mm -hmm. like that's, I think probably well, what we're talking about for most people. And the type of miles, and I mean, we can call them junk miles, but the type of miles that, that aren't effective and aren't going to really make you faster, I would say generally is when you're going hard when you're supposed to go easy and go easy when you're supposed to go hard. Yeah. And that's kind of when you're not being as effective with your time as you could be. You know, an example of that would be obviously, you know, like if you're supposed to do a recovery ride and you're doing it in zone three and... You know, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're yeah. doing it up Armstrong or something. You know, you're you're kind of wasting your time then. Like the recovery ride you're trying to do on the quarry trail. Yeah. It, like that's not and, a thing that can't, you know, it's not going to work. You know, and if you do like, if you do intervals the day after a race when you should be recovering. Like that's what junk miles should mean. That's really what it should yeah, mean. Yeah, that's how we should start using that, uh, huh? You know, and like um, if you, you know, if you go like six weeks without ever taking a rest week, you know, that yeah. fifth and six weeks, I would say those that, are junk miles. Those are junk miles. You know, yeah. those, those miles aren't helping you get faster. Yeah. Um, lots of examples, you know, like if you're doing intervals five days a week, you know, three of those five days, I would consider junk miles, you know, yeah. cause that's like not helping you out. So, um, yeah. So I say yes and no junk miles. There, there's definitely more effective ways you can spend your time. But, um, so I, I would say ride lots, but be smart about it. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? Yeah. But, but yeah, but ride lots. Yeah. So, kind of, yeah. That, I think we agree. Um, so that was the first question and like, I would just love to talk about that the whole time. Cause that's just the stuff I love talking about. Yeah. It'd be an episode. You <laughs> add it to your list, you know, we'll run out of stuff yeah. here soon. Uh, another question. Someone, Tyler Harvey asked me a question. He wanted to know how Maybird got its name. I don't even know. <laughs> like, I came, actually, this is interesting. I might post on the Instagram. I have a picture, a graphic on my phone from like mid-2016 that's like a red thing that's two mountains. This is Team Maybird. And I don't remember, I think I kind of had this idea that I'd start a bike team someday and that I'd call it that. So when I was in high school, I, I did, um, like I was in a business class in high school where we were supposed to start this mm -hmm. business and yeah, go through the, too, yeah. the whole process of it and everything. And I, I started a, the business I was starting was going to be called Mabel, um, sorry, Maybird Cyclery, which was going to be a bike shop really? called Maybird. Yeah. I've never heard this before. Yeah. And, um, how have I never heard this? And the reason I wanted to call it Maybird is like when I was in high school, um, a couple of times I hiked up to Maybird Gulch and every time I went there, I just thought it was like the most beautiful place I'd ever seen on the planet earth. And it's an incredible Wait, place. I, we independently both landed on I didn't know Maybird you. as a name. I didn't, I'll show it to you. Yeah. I have this graphic. 
Really? Is I that didn't... not how we landed on that? Wait, no, because I thought, like, I started biking, I was like, Maybird Gulch is, like, the coolest place in New York. So I was like, Utah's important to me, and the Wasatch Mountains are important to me. And I think that's, like, the coolest place, and it happens to be a cool name. Yeah, I did wait, my school wait, I did wait, my wait. school project, and it was Maybird Cycling. Shut up. Are you serious? Yeah. No, I thought it was because we just both agreed that, like, I, I, I thought I pitched Maybird as a name, and you thought it was cool. No, I've always wanted to name it Maybird. Wait. Wait, for real? Yeah. No way. Maybe we should talk. This, this is, is weird. weird. This is, um, I promise this isn't staged. I'm like freaked out. That's, huh. I'm usually not into the superstitious yeah, stuff. Yeah, in fact, but... when I was in high school, I wanted to one day start a bike shop and call it Maybird, Maybird Cyclery. Wow. Like the so... one worse decision than starting a bike team. <laughs> no way. Okay. Yeah. So, so there we go. And it was just basically just because it's such a pretty place. And I really hope that a group of people will hike up with me. Yeah. This, you're in like June or something. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. No way. Okay. So, well, yeah. that's okay. So that's kind of where it got its name. There you go. I'll go, I'll post the original Maybird logo. Actually, I'll pull it up while you do talk and I'll show you here in just a sec, but that's so, okay. Well, that's let's just, yeah, we can just go into the deep dive now. Yeah. And this, this deep dive uh, came to us uh, via Hayden Fonger like over a month ago, I think. So sorry, Hayden, it took us forever to get to this one, but it's an interesting question. And Dan and I went on a five hour hike yesterday, which was as insufferable as you can imagine. And we actually talked about this a little bit, and I think it's a really interesting one to dive into a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it might lean kind of TED talky, but I hope not. <laughs> well, you know, we, um, when we were talking about it. It was such an in interesting conversation, and I'm kind of like worried. I'm like, you know, we probably won't be nearly as interesting during our actual podcast, but um, really good topic. So, I don't even have his exact question, but didn't he? I'll pull it up here. I'll pull it up. Didn't he basically just say, "Hey guys, can you do a podcast on like how to overcome fear?" Isn't isn't that kind of what he said? Yes, he said. Um, not sure how good of a podcast this would make, but I think it would be interesting to cover what fear is and how to overcome it. Okay, so exactly a month ago. Look at that. Cool. And I think I, I'm not sure, but I think where he decided he would be interested in this topic i because i saw hayden post on inner instagram like he was writing this really really gnarly technical rocky section that at the end of it was like a cliff where if you went off the cliff you would like die. like high high consequence and his brother dawson looked like he was standing at the edge of this technical section to catch him so he wouldn't fall off the cliff or something and I saw him writing this on Instagram and it just like, it freaked me out. Yeah. Just, we should, we should if you don't know the Fongers, the Fongers um, are kind of like the, they're, they're going to be the next legends of like gravity oriented mountain biking from around here. Well, they're both really good cross country. And races, I should say too, they yeah. both kick your butt in a cross country race as well. But like their emphasis, these guys are, are like probably some of the most skilled bike handlers I've ever known personally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're like, they're like doing like the big, you know, like I've, I had Hayden for a couple of years in my group. Like they do like big proper jumps and like, and like Dawson does pro enduro and stuff like that. So like, that's where they, so I think Dawson or, um, Hayden, I was confused, but I think Hayden's question probably comes more from like, how do I ride something bigger and scarier in his mind? But it's interesting cause it, this applies to a ton of stuff. I mean, basically everything, right? Yeah. And when I saw this, I'm like, you know, Hayden, I'm like. 
I am a very, I'm a very cautious person. I'm yeah. easily scared. Yeah. Um, I don't do anything very consequential on a bike at all. Right. Uh, like I always joke that I've done like every blue square in Utah. Yeah. You're like the blue square king. I'm like the blue square, square king. Yeah. Um, I'm like, gosh, I couldn't say anything that would help these guys out. Like, I'd be like, but it is relative though. And that's what makes it so interesting is like, you know, like or, or I was thinking that like, w- like when my wife and I'll ride, like we'll get to stuff where it like really scares her, but I don't even think about it because I've ridden it a hundred times and it doesn't scare me. Right. And then I'll go ride with Andrew and we'll ride stuff that scares the heck out of me that doesn't even bother him. Right. And so it's like, it's, it's fe- fears and emotion. It's like chemicals happening in your brain. What's actually happening on the ground is, could be that it could be a test. It could be your first date. Like, you know, but I do really worry that kind of the direction my pre- my preparation for this topic M- took me might not help Hayden. <laughs> might not, yeah, it's probably not going to help Hayden. He's already yeah. doing really gnarly stuff. And yeah, I'm he's like, he's already more fearless than we'll ever be. Yeah, but. so maybe he should be teaching me how to not be afraid of things because yeah. obviously he kind of has it more figured out than I do. But um, you know, and and I started kind of like looking into this a while ago. But we had several podcasts that had to do with kind of registration and. Kind of the beginning, kind of, the of, the beginning year of the season stuff. stuff. Yeah. So this has kind of got been pushed a bit. Kind of yeah, and and I feel like I've like learned a lot of things, but don't know where to go today at all. So, um, but I I I kind of googled, you know, best books on overcoming fear for endurance athletes or something. You know, like pretty pretty specific, I guess. So it's a really broad net you're casting again. <laughs> broad net, wide net, broad net. <laughs> Broadnet, hairnet, widenet, hairnet. Okay, sorry. Internet. Internet. Hey, um, did you? And you actually came up with a book that you like, though. You were telling me about, right? Well, yeah, and um, we we've we've uh, like a recent podcast we did like that peak performances book mm, that from, yes. by Steve Magnus. Um, the book that came up is another book by Steve Magnus that's called "Do Hard Things." Mm, okay, and. I'm kind of like, huh, I really liked the last book I read from him. And by read, I meant listen to while I was driving around. That counts. I will die on that hill. Okay. Like, listening to a book is the same. Like, if that's that's such a boomer take to say that, like, you got to read it with your own two eyes. It's the same information you're absorbing. <laughs> There's no difference there. Um, yeah, so I got it, and I've been listening to it for... And it's got a lot of stuff in it. Like, I found Most it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's kind of a book that I found that I kind of could only handle in little chunks at a time because mm-hmm. I just felt like I was like, it seems like for me where I'm just constantly learning about training and, and even, you know, even kind of like the, the really like toughness. tangible scientific measurable stuff. You know, I feel like I kind of do hear the same thing over and over a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. This book kind of introduced a lot of new things to me and, oh, okay. and it kind of took me a little while to digest it. In fact, like, you know, have you ever eaten, like, sometimes I'll be eating a bowl of cereal that's, like, so good that, like, I'm almost excited to finish the bowl of cereal. So, so you can, can have the next one? So you can have the next bowl of cereal. Yeah, this, is, this podcast is called Why Dan and I Aren't Climbers. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, though, or what you when you're eating something, you, you're eating something, you're excited for the next one. Yeah, this it's, like, so my... good, you're like, I can't wait for the next piece, oh, boy. even though you haven't finished the first I feel so called out right now. Okay. <laughs> and that's kind of how I was, like, I'm listening to it, I'm like, okay, this is good, but... I really want to listen to it again. Right. You know, and, yeah. um, and so, and the funny thing is, as I haven't finished the book yet, 
because I kind of listened to it like three quarters of the way. And then I started over and... It's funny. It's kind of like me in high school English, except I finished the book like an eighth of the way and then did my presentation on it. But, um, <laughs> so you got, you haven't even finished it. So there's more wisdom to impart. Yeah. So this, maybe. this might just be a part one, Okay. but I do recommend the book. It's a good book. Um, learned a lot of interesting concepts that I, you just, um, you just don't hear a lot. Of, I, I would say it's a good companion for the, the kind of the, how bad you want it type genre. Mm, okay. Um, but with a, like kind of a different, yeah, it's, it, it supplements it well. So, okay. Um, but that's kind of a lot of the, where our discussion will kind of be based is information from that. Um, but you know, there's kind of like when it, when it talks to, to becoming tougher, there's kind of two approaches. There's kind of the old school approach where it's like the the, the HTFU yeah approach. the HTFU harden the, harden the frick up yeah <laughs> or or cowboy up or kind of bulldoze through yeah. and um you know and and this is kind of what what he called kind of false toughness mm. and it's like the appearance of toughness yeah kind yeah. of a facade tough. of yeah. toughness because we all know people like that right oh yeah yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's like if I'm watching like a chick flick or something and I get a little emotional, I try really hard to fight it back and hide it, you know? And, yeah. Cause every I'm... week you get better, Dan. <laughs> but, um, but the second approach is what this book is basically about is, is becoming tough by navigating. Mm. And he gives a definition of toughness, which I thought's really interesting. So... He says, toughness is embracing the reality of what we are and what we have to do. Mm. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Because have you ever been in those situations where you're like, I guess this is just what it is and we're going to deal with it. And if you'd asked me if I had to do this a day ago, I would have been scared out of my mind. But we're here. So, you know, I, like your car starts sliding on the freeway, you know. I'm here. Like, I, I guess you got to deal with it. Right? Is that kind of the, the thought there? Yeah. Or like, or just kind of realizing like who you are and what you're capable of mm. and how that relates to the situation that you're in. Which kind of goes back to what we were talking about, like Hayden versus us or like us versus someone who's never ridden a bike that like capability totally dictates you know, because like, and I think I'm totally jumping ahead here, but we kind of talk about confidence. And maybe we've, I think we've talked before about like confidence being, you know, like having to do with like your confidence, competence and confidence are like related. Mm, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and that like you can't be, <clears throat> like I could not confidently perform heart surgery no matter how much I believed I could. Right. That's in the, And that's exactly where this whole discussion is going. Did I just, did I just short circuit it? Save so everyone a bunch of folks. time. Oh. Okay. Well, until next week, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, so t so toughness is just kind of like being aware of who we are, what we're capable of, and then what we need to do in the circumstances we're in. Right. What what yeah, what's what's required of us basically, right? Yeah. Okay. And and something to point out too is this like wanting to quit is natural. Yes, cuz fear is natural. We talked about this. Like fear's good. Fear keeps you alive, right? Like if we had no fear, we we wouldn't be here. We would have died a long time ago, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fear is fear is necessary. I think some people 
maybe experience excessive amounts of it mm, mm-hmm. and other people should experience more. Should, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about fear for just a minute. Okay. Um, you know, think of, and, and Steve Magnus in his book, he uses this as an example. Like you've got like uh, a skydiving instructor with a student that's going skydiving for their first time. And, you know, it's kind of like they're doing the same thing, but entirely different chemicals are going through the two different bodies. Right. You know, like, right. like the skydiving instructor is probably going to experience a lot of a, adrenaline and thrill and enjoy even and so forth, you know. Mm-hmm. And the skydiving student that's never done it before is probably stressed out, like... In, cortisol is rising and you know their their amygdala is going crazy and you know it's it's like a completely different response but you know and and largely based on experience you know and um and so like you've got like in our brain we've got the amygdala which is kind of the like and you 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 hear people talk about a lot it's kind of the almond shaped little section of the brain that kind of controls our emotional and fear-based responses mm. and you've got the prefrontal cortex which is more kind of your clear thinking rational logical brain and, and sometimes for some people the amygdala kind of hijacks the prefrontal cortex right so this is the difference between somebody getting mad and and like trying to meet in the middle and agree to disagree and punching a hole in the drywall, right? Like your amygdala makes you punch a hole in the drywall. Your prefrontal cortex makes you try to understand the situation and see where they're coming from and figure out a solution, right? Yeah. Because you do know people who just live in their amygdala all the time, like road, like when, like road rage. Yeah. Right? Like that's someone who's just like, they, they don't have a prefrontal cortex. They just have a giant amygdala, right? Like we should call that big amygdala energy. Is that spelled <laughs> with an A or an E? It's an it's, A, right? Yeah, A. Yeah, B B A E Bay A M Y G D A L A I think. Okay, there okay. we go. I'm too dyslexic to remember that, but yeah, like <laughs> no, like but you know what I'm talking about? Like people, or you just like you know those people who are just like unnecessarily aggressive about everything, and they're the worst, and you hate dealing with them every single time they call you, and you're you know like their caller ID shows up and you have a heart attack. Yeah, like amygdala people. Yeah. Okay, that's like a category for me now. You know, and this book talks a lot about kind of creating space between that that response like you know you basically like responding rather than reacting right now granted the flip side is the amygdala is important because if a bear starts charging you shouldn't be like hmm well let's look at this from the bear's perspective you should run right okay yeah well it's interesting because um is it alex how do you say his last honald? name honald you think the, I free, keep wanting, the free solo guy i keep wanting to say holland but i know that's not nope. right um apparently his amygdala is almost underactive and, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and it it's like, I've heard it like barely works enough to keep him alive. Yeah, because he really does have like Spock vibes, huh? Yeah. Like where he's just not, like these, because you have to imagine too that like, even though he's capable, what he's doing, just the consequences so high that even if your capability was an incredible of which it is, you should still be experiencing enough fear that like most climbers who are that good still don't free solo, right? Okay. Yeah. But I mean, his will kick in occasionally, but his, but it's just at levels that are completely different to it's like, like a mine, robot, I think mine's kind of like, 
over i'm like afraid of like just about everything you know right and yeah I, um but hmm. but yeah his his is very underactive which is kind of interesting but yeah interesting. it is it is necessary but but i think i think sometimes you know the like we say the amygdala kind of hijacks the prefrontal cortex and you know some right. people just are controlled too much by fear and some people aren't quite enough and mm-hmm. you know because yeah like it, it keeps us safe you know like on our hike the other day you yeah know, i was slipping and sliding we were up almost to the top of the peak i decided you know i don't think i have the skill and i'm too afraid i this is good enough for me and that might have kept me safe maybe not maybe i was overreacting i don't mm-hmm. know but but it, i mean it is cool that your body has this function that it's like it's designed to keep you safe like your body has evolved to keep you alive yeah and that's cool but, but i, I yeah. do think that there's kind of like a happy medium where it does it mm-hmm. to an appropriate extent and some people kind of maybe it, they live in fear too much and other people not enough well because like you have to think like evolution takes place on a million year time scale and it was only a few you know fifty thousand years ago we were on the plains in africa right running from a lion we're not far enough removed from that that we've evolved to the modern reality of like you know you're not really in situations where your life's in danger all the time anymore and that's why it's interesting where you get like people with anxiety i was gonna say yeah anxiety is something that we should talk about really quick because like it's it's there's a distinction between between anxiety and fear yes you know whereas like anxiety is when you're you're afraid of something that hasn't happened yet it's something in the Mm -hmm. future you're afraid of like like a hypothetical like a thing that could happen to you right yeah um and and fear is actually something that you know like you're the bear is actually chasing you or you're right you're afraid in that moment yeah yeah, you know or you're about to get in a car crash or something you know your car when your car hydroplanes on the freeway that's not anxiety that's fear right and I think people use them interchangeably, but I kind of, I don't, I think there is an interesting and, and kind of useful distinction there, right? And, you know, we talk about, though, that there's a good reason for fear, but is there, like, actually a good reason for anxiety? I think as I understand anxiety, no. I think anxiety is like a destructive force, where fear, like you said, fear is a tool. And you should respect fear, right? Um, like if I was going to follow one of the fongers down the rampage course or something, it would be good that I have fear and the fear, sh- I should listen to it. Right. But anxiety. And I think the unfortunate reality is just a lot of people have anxious lives right now because, you know, like I think there are just a lot more demands than there used to be. I think there's a lot more pitfalls than there used to be. And like the big, you think about the big things people stress about, like the biggest one's money. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't think anxiety is good. I think a life without fear would be bad and a life without anxiety would be great. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about like, you know, cause, cause we, we, st- we talked about how wanting to quit is natural. We're in a sport that's difficult mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of times we're wanting to quit because sometimes it's because what we're doing is scary. It's kind of testing mm-hmm. our skill limits and so forth. Other times it's, t- it's uncomfortable because we're kind of at the limits of our, our physical fitness Right. You know, so there's kind of lots of reasons that we, we might want to quit. Um, but, you know, as, as the book's called, like, Do Hard Things, you know, how how can we improve in our ability to do hard things? And That's really interesting. Yeah, and, and this is something that that's actually trainable because... You know, you know, when we kind of talked about like the two approaches, you know, the one is just kind of like cowboy up or 
HTFU or whatever. Um, the second approach is learning how to navigate it. And, and that's, that's done through, through like coping strategies. And there, there's mm-hmm. some, but there's, there's some skills and there's some, some things that are trainable that can actually make us be able to push beyond what we're currently able to do, which yeah. is pretty awesome when you think about it. Well, I, I think that's trainable because there are a lot of differences between Keegan and Sophia and me. Um, and I think you know a lot of them are physical, but I have to imagine some of them are mental. I have to imagine they know how to push to a place that I don't. Oh, absolutely. I don't think you can chalk it. I don't. If it's I not have, the it's only not, thing. And that's the thing. I think, and that's why I hate the whole like if you want it hard enough, you can have it. Like that is not true. I could not want my way to beating Keegan at Leadville. You know, but, but you can want your way to beating however good you are now. Exactly right. So I, I think that like, but it is trainable, which is cool that you're not stuck with it. You yeah. know, and so. You know, and I, and I think a lot of the people that kind of go with the old school method would think, you know what, throw yourself into the deep end. Right. Is, yeah. You know, like follow Dawson off the 20 foot jump or something. And then, right. you know, just. Or even something that's not like dangerous, like go enter a World Cup, even if it's like, yeah, I can get around the track without crashing. Is that good for you? And like with your athletes, like I think I used to kind of be in the like, if the kid could race varsity, get them racing varsity. But I think I've kind of changed my mind on that now. You know, yeah. that like throwing people in at the deep end according, can be good, maybe. You know, and according to this book, it kind of doesn't work is, yeah. is kind of what he would argue, I would say. Yeah. What? And I'd imagine, too, deep end isn't a binary, right? That, like, it's a spectrum. You know, because, like, mm-hmm. if you totally shield your kid and never let him do a Nike race at all, because any Nike race is going to be hard, well, that's not good either. But, yeah, but so yeah, like, I don't think they, every kid should just start in varsity. Yeah, right? so they don't. They, they don't recommend throw, you know, the deep end approach. No. But um, what this book recommends is what they call stress inoculation. And Inocu- like, you mentioned this yesterday, and I like that inoculation is interesting because it implies like exposure to it, right? Because that's, that's how inocul- like, vaccines work, right? Is you expose yourself to a little bit of the sickness so your body learns how to deal with it and can but fight it off, right? The important thing about a vaccine is that that dosage is critical because... You know, if, if you get too much of it, you end up getting sick. Right. You know, but if you get just the right amount, like the right dosage of it, your body gets better and, and is able to fight off whatever infection is coming its way. You know, so right. So I, I think this is a really important term, calling it inoculation, mm. and, you know, like. Um, and so, so basically, and you kind of think, you know, a lot of people would think that the military is would be like the epitome the, of the HTFU approach, you know, like but boot camp scenes in movies. You got to think, you know, yeah, like, but honestly, and I didn't know this, I guess the military hires more sports psychologists than anybody else. That doesn't surprise me at all. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And they actually kind of have like, they actually kind of employ probably the best methods in preparing people to handle higher amounts of stress. Because, like, combat is, if it's not at the top of the list, I don't know it would be, right? Like, like having someone shoot at you and you having to, like, shoot back and keep yourself and your other guys safe and accomplish the mission, like, that's, that's the top of the peak as far as, like, fear goes, right? Like, if I threw you onto the front lines right now with a gun and you had people shooting at oh, you... Oh, I would just be crying the whole time. Yeah, you'd, like, immediately fall apart, right? Or firefighters running into a burning building, right? That, like, you have to be able... I mean, those people aren't born with that, Right? Yeah, and so how they train them to do it is is through stress inoculation. Hmm. They 
what what they'll first do is they will teach the soldiers some coping strategies. Like they'll they'll teach them techniques to be able to handle more stress, and then they will put them into a stressful situation, but something that they can handle, you know. Right. And then they'll teach them more. They'll train them more, and and then they'll put them into another situation that's even slightly more stressful, and they can handle that. And eventually they'll get them to like extremely stressful situations, but they've gradually ramped up to that so that they can handle it. Um, so, cause that is like the opposite of the throwing them to the deep end. Oh yeah. Right. Cause that's throwing them into the shallow end and then moving a foot over and then throwing them in there and then moving a foot over and throwing them in there. But teaching them how to swim in between and so forth, you know? Right, right, right. And, you know, and so like an example of what we do, you know, like, um, like with a drop, you know, mm-hmm. like you I don't was just, just thinking about the drop. Yeah. Yeah. You don't just go do this, the Soho drop, like out, right. of, out of nothing. You don't just go. Yeah. Do we would it. not I mean, take your, your although, junior Devo on their first ride off the Soho drop. Although I know some uh, high school boys that probably would because that well, prefrontal cortex hasn't just, grown in yet. You yeah. Know, and their amygdala is not active enough. So, yeah. But I think most most of us couldn't just go do the Soho drop. No. You know, but you do, you know, you first you go off the curb. Right. You know, you start going off a six-inch curb. Because pretty much anyone, if you can ride a bike, you can ride off a curb. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, and then once you kind of learn how to do that well, you could do a 10-inch drop. And mm-hmm. once you get comfortable with that, you could do a 12-inch and 14-inch and 15 until you get up to like a two or three-foot drop and then you kind of pass the benchmarks where it's like okay the drop's big enough that you can't roll it anymore you know or like with you can't roll the soho drop right but you would never jump a curb you know and i think as you kind of get to those like like those benchmarks are kind of hard like that first drop you do that is not rollable is hard but the the thing is is that's like you would start with a a six inch go to 10 inch go to a 12 inch and by the time you get there and you can, I mean, and you could, you could drop those still, you know, yeah. but you're just incrementally increasing it. And once you can do something confidently, you could do something slightly more at a similar amount of confidence, you know, but you're just, it's like the frog, how you boil a frog. Yeah. But in a good way, you know, like <laughs> instead of talking about peer pressure and smoking or whatever, it's like doing drops, you know, you know, and and that's from kind of a skills perspective, but like me, you know, say, say like you're getting ready for point to point, mm. you know, um, which I think a lot of people will be this season. I am. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't go out one week weekend and do a 70 mile ride with 12,000 feet of climbing. Seems like some people do, but yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you first go out and do a 20 mile, you know, like a three hour ride, then you do a four right. hour ride, then you do a five hour ride, then, you know, a six or seven or eight, you know, you just gradually build it up so you know you're becoming comfortable with it gradually you know so but yeah um as far as like the coping techniques you know we talked about like you know the amygdala and how it's you know and you're you're talking about how people that just kind of like just instantly respond to whatever right Right. that signals you to do Mm -hmm. um but the, the kind of the, the coping techniques and the book kind of went more into coping techniques towards the end. And that, that's the part I didn't get to yet, you know. <laughs> okay. um, so we won't talk a whole lot about that. But um, For an update on that soon. Yeah. 
but the kind of gist is that you kind of need to create a space between that response. And so you can, so you're not reacting, you're responding. And, and you do that by creating a, a, a space where you can kind of talk through things calmly. And I would say, I would kind of sum up the whole coping strategy is don't freak out. Yeah. You know, kind of create that space between your initial response so you don't freak out. That is something I actually had an experience with this yesterday. My wife's teaching me how to ski because I could, I always snowboarded. She skis. She wants to teach me how to ski. So I'm learning how to ski, right? And it's like I have the basics down enough that I can turn and I can stop. I can do all the things, but I'm not great at them yet, right? And I was going yesterday and I my speed started to get out of control, right? And I remember when I first started mountain biking, being in that situation, you panic and you, you slam on the brake and you go over the bars or whatever. But like, I think so many years of mountain biking and kind of getting over that, I was like, okay, the worst thing I can do is panic, right? And then you try to get, you try to calm enough to be like, okay, I don't need to, I'm going fast and I need to stop. But I'm not about to hit a tree. I've got some runway, right? So like, what can you're about I do to hit to... the other three-year-old kids you're skiing with? Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Because huh. this is a bunny hill, free skiff, free after three down. It's great. Um, um, but I, I was like, I was like, I'm afraid, and I feel the fear, like fear, not anxiety, like fear. Like I might crash. This is scary. I'm going too fast. It's not safe. But I don't need to panic. I've got a second to figure this out. The grade's changing a little bit. I'm going to be going uphill in just a sec. That'll help slow me down, and then I can I can pizza myself to a stop, right? But I think that as a little kid, before you have those experiences to like learn how to manage panic, you know, and how to stay out of panic land, you know, because in panic land you just crash. Um, but I think this sport is great because it's taught me to stay out of panic land. I was like, you know what? I'm okay. I'll be able to stop. Just give it a sec do the thing I know how to do because I went and I learned how to stop and I've, I've done the work and I was able to stop and I was fine. Yeah. Or like you're in a race and you kind of start out the race and so-and-so passes you and you're mm-hmm. getting really, really tired. You're not feeling very good. Your legs mm-hmm. aren't there. Oh, and usually they're, I can beat Johnny, you know. Yeah, they're like, riding away. Like, you don't panic. Yeah, don't go to panic land. Yeah. You, you kind of like, you set, you kind of create that space where you can use your prefrontal cortex and think, okay, um, I'll just keep pacing this ride. I'll yeah. focus on my cadence yep. and my breathing this isn't and great, but... my nutrition. And you know what? Eventually I'll bring it back and I'll be fine. You know, don't, right. don't, don't panic. Yeah. You know, don't freak out is yeah. kind of the whole gist of the coping. Thing. And I've told my boys this, I, I actually have done like a lesson on this without even realizing it. The past four years I've coached, which is that like people make bad decisions when they're A are in pain and B are panicked. And it's kind of the same thing, right? Like those really fall into the same bucket and I should probably make it more concise, but like panicked people make dumb decisions. Absolutely. Panicked people throw punches and pull out guns and panicked people withdraw all their money at once and do like all kinds, like people rarely do like smart things when they're panicking. For, for sure. And if they do, it was on accident, yeah. you know, you never want to panic ever. And, and the last kind of coping mechanism that I think is really important. And Dr. Ross talks about this a lot. So I think it's really good to remind people of is, is being able to reframe threats into challenges. Mm, yeah, I like that. You know, and, and he even said even like opportunities, you know, like if sure. you're freaking out about doing a race, don't think of it as a threat. Think of it as a challenge. Yeah. You know, and if, if you're facing something difficult in work, don't think of it as a threat. Yeah. Think of it as a challenge. The really angry person you have to call back because you screwed up. It's a challenge. Handle it as well as you can. It's not going to be great. 
and I, I hate it when people make it. Like, you can't reframe this to be like, everything's going to be amazing and wonderful all the time. But like, I had to do this. I messed someone's thing up and it ended up costing him some money this week, you know, and we made it, we made it right in the end. But like that phone call sucked, but I was like, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to try to learn from this if nothing else. And it's like, you can't make it suck less. But, you know, I, I do think that, like, reframing it, like you said, like, that kind of sounds like hocus-pocus, Ted talky crap, but, like, it's helped me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, kind of the last thing I want to talk about, and this is a thing I think really probably is going to benefit our writers the most, is, is confidence. Mm. Let me ask you a question first, though. Um how like am- me or a rhetorical question to the audience? No, to you. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> but the audience can answer along in sure, their heads. Sure, sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but how important do you think a good self-esteem is? It's an interesting question because I think I think the intuitive answer is correct. I think good self-esteem is really important because I know people with low self-esteem are difficult to deal with. Because I know, I know some people in my life who have like cripplingly low self-esteem and it causes problems. And I've had periods in my life where my self-esteem has been really low and I wasn't a very happy person then. I'm going to go ahead and say very important, but when you ask questions like this, the obvious answer usually isn't the correct one. What, I, what do you think? What is, is, is there an argument for like Okay, so this one kind of hurt my brain a little bit when okay. you talked about it in the book. But he basically kind of made the case... That, that self-esteem, like just trying to improve someone's self-esteem is almost pointless, if not destructive, unless it's based on something. Okay. With that modifier, sure. Yeah. So it's not the self-esteem isn't the problem. It's how you're going about it is well, what you're saying. Well, and the way he put it is that self-esteem should be a byproduct oh, of, not like a of thing. confidence. But you shouldn't just like... You can't just turn a knob and be like more self-esteem. Yeah. It's almost like you can't just like shove socks into some guy's shirt and make him... All of a sudden he's stronger. Like Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, in fact, he kind of made a case how like a lot of times like um, sometimes people kind of like get overinflated egos based on absolutely nothing. Yeah. And, and it can, there's, there's ways that it can be harmful. Or it's all so, the like stereotypes, like, like people who drive, it's depending on what stereotype you want to do. It's the, the sports car or the big jacked up truck or whatever, like, or people who are like jerks because they th- act, they need to act like they're better than you because they feel like they're not right. Like there's a lot of stereotypes that we like throw around like, Oh, they're compensating or whatever. Right. Is that kind of the, like the false self, like you have low self-esteem, so you're doing something to artificially boost it. When well, you really and that's more be. about like, a, that, that has to do more with ego. Okay. You know, and so it's kind of like you've got, you've got self-esteem, which really, you know, you shouldn't just jump to building someone's self-esteem. Right. There has to be some substance. And there's okay. ego, which I like to, I like to consider is kind of the, the evil cousin of confidence, but confidence is actually extremely important. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, but confidence has to be grounded in reality. Yeah. You can't fake it. Like you can't fake real confidence. Well, yeah, it's like me, you know, if, if like we're on a commercial flight and the pilot dies and the flight attendant asks me to go 
land the plane. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't have any confidence. Like, I don't have any reason to have Because you any... don't have any competence. Yes. Right? I guarantee I'm not the first person to think of that. But that's it, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So it, it's something that really has to be earned by what you do. Hmm. And, um, you know, and so like, like, like really right now you can be doing things from now until when your race season starts that would give you reason to be confident. And, and so like when you go to like, when you're lining up at a race, you can be thinking, you know what? I have, I've ridden 10 to 15 hours a week for, for two to three years. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I take my rest weeks. I've, I've gone to all the clinics. I've gone to, yeah, I, 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 I try to eat good quality, healthy foods. Get lots of sleep. I get sleep at night. You know, you've got, you've got some reasons to have some confidence. Yeah. You know, like when I, and, and, but the thing is, is it has, it has to be like realistic. Like if I go line up at like an elite eye cup with the other elite racers and think, Oh man, I got this. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm going to win. These guys suck. That that's not confidence. That's, is that, that's ego. That's ego. In your book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and, but you know, if I line up at like a cat two race with other guys that are in their forties and, and I think, you know what? I ride a lot. I can handle a bike decently well, you know, I'm good. I'm going to be okay. You know, I have every reason to be confident. I deserve to be here. It would be weird if it went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to win, but I'm going to do okay. I'm going to do fine. That's like you could, but you really couldn't win that pro I cup. Yeah. Right. And, And so like confidence really to be confidence has to be the right amount Cause I know, and I think, I think it almost seems like girls, like a lot of the girls I work with struggle with this a little more, like they'll kind of line up to a race and they just, you know, they're hoping to get 30th when they're really good enough to get like fifth or something, you know? Right. And, and then with the boys, it's like, it's I've boys. got a podium on lock and they're like barely cracking top half. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the girls should be more confident than they are. And you know, yeah. So confidence to be confidence has to be you have to have a really good firm fix of kind of your abilities and, and the, but then be aware of like the demands of what you're about to do. And it'll just come like confidence and self. You basically, your argument is confidence and self-esteem are just natural byproducts of being competent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like a reward for the the work and the preparation. And and so, Hmm. but you just can't naturally tell somebody that, you're the best and you're going to be awesome and you're going to, you've got this if they haven't done the work, you know, I mean, they might have some natural ability or they're, you know, a good body mass index that would make it so they would naturally do, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of, and you know, and if you're lining up for race, you might have to think those are your assets. You know, those are, those are what you can base your confidence on. Um, But it absolutely has to be, to be grounded in reality. Yeah. You know, and ego, ego is kind of an interesting thing. Um, 
basically like if your um if your confidence is based on like external pressures and they, they basically call that contingent self-esteem. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it, like it basically self-esteem if, asterisk. Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. You know, and that's that's when when your confidence is basically based on other people's perception of you. Oh yeah. It's, it's contingent because if that ever goes away or is weakened, your confidence kind of flies out the window. And this is where you get like the post bad race Instagram post. Do you know what I'm talking about? And like, I'm, I'm going to, this is me, right? Like I'm trying to do this. When I was in high school, this was totally me, right? Like if something goes wrong, there's an excuse. There's always, I mean, there was a mechanical or the weather was bad or there's always something that happened. It wasn't you, right? And I think a lot of people kind of tie their self-esteem up by, you know, like they could suck, but if people thought they were a winner, they're a winner, right? But the fact of the matter is they, they do suck. But And this was me in high school. Like I sucked, but I wanted to have this people think I was good because I wasn't, you know, that's actually really interesting. You know, and the interesting thing about confidence is a lot of times people that are the loudest, that almost have like the strongest opinions, the most arrogance actually have the least amount of confidence because. Oh, a hundred percent. Those yeah. things are stand-ins for confidence. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, Those are crutches when you don't have confidence. Yeah. So a quote from the book is arrogance sits on insecurity Confidence sits on experience. Ooh, I like that. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. You know, and so I think that I just know some writers that probably have, you know, that that kind of shift maybe too far one end on the spectrum where it's getting a little bit into arrogance. But I know a lot of writers that deserve more confidence than they're showing when they line up to race. Yeah. You know, because I mean the, the people listening to this podcast, like they're probably doing some type of winter training, mm-hmm. you know, they ride their bike probably three, four five times a week. That's not nothing. Like statistically, if you're listening to this, you probably deserve some kind of confidence, you yeah. know, and you probably have some, you know, so I, I guess kind of what I'm trying to get at is, you know, when, when you're lining up to a race, you just need to know that you've, you know, you've done your training, you've ridden your bike, you've done this for several years, you're, you've done harder things, you've ridden more technical trails than the one you're about to race on, and you belong to be there, and it's going to be hard, you're going to get tired, you're going to want to quit. But it's something that you can do and you should have confidence, Yeah, you know, and it's something that maybe some of us need to work on more than others. Um, but, but yeah, that's, uh, climb I, up I the ladder, Dan. climb up the ladder. I, I can't, I don't know. Confidence do is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, but arrogance, um, I think arrogance is definitely one of the kind of a precursor to to burnout Mm -hmm. and leaving the sport because you know your motivation's tied to external factors that are somewhat fickle but and i'd go even further i'd say that like arrogance is one of the most underrated destructive forces in the world 
I think it's awful. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you see it all over the place outside of cycling. You see it all the time, you know? Yeah. Like, like a, a, a basically something the book said too, that I've just got here on my notes is, um, you know, you really need to turn the volume of your ego down. And it said, so, so that you might listen to others and effort to approach life in a more humanely and or, or sorry, <laughs> more humanely and compassionately yeah. rather than being defensive. So, yeah. Hundred percent, man. Yeah. So ego, not good. Confidence, awesome. Yeah, that's another thing. I think I hope this team does is just destroys ego. You know, like it destroys ego and builds confidence. You know, I'd love it if we could do that. You know, on and off the bike. Oh yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about today is it's not just an on the bike thing. No. You no, know? no, 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 no. So. I hope it's not. <laughs> what a waste of time if it isn't. You know, yeah. like. If, if, if you somehow managed to not be egotistical and confident, confident on the bike, but then weren't doing that in your personal life, I don't know what's wrong with you. Because, you know, yeah, that'd make the world a better place for sure, huh? Yeah. So, you know, if you haven't already, start doing things so you can earn some confidence when you line up to race, you know. You know, get your sleep, eat your good food, ride your bike. Come up to that first iCup confident, everyone. Yeah. Good okay. stuff. Well, as a reminder, uh, no running group on uh, Monday, Tuesday, 6 p.m. We will have the bike buying um, uh, seminar. Please uh, attend that. Look for a Zoom link on that shortly. Wednesday, we will have the Zwift. Make sure you show up to that. And in the meantime, do something to build up your confidence. Great. Thanks. Talk soon, folks.